Hey Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. I just got back from the gym, so that's awesome. That's All right, my... I got. I got to ask you. Okay, what'd you do today? What'd you uh, do today? Um, I did chest and shoulders, but I did um, lightweight, a lot of reps. Arms looking good. So that's a sweaty workout. At least when I do low weight and high reps. Those are the workouts where I really sweat my rear end off. I, do, I don't on chest and shoulders because the muscle groups are so small. True, true, but true. But legs, I'm like tired and then back, I'm tired. But right. other than that, it's really pretty easy. So how was your week so far? Um, This week has been pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah not a whole lot new going on. Um, I got to do my first ever live TV appearance last week. Yeah. So... That was a lot of fun. I what that I can't imagine how fun that would be. <laughs> it was five minutes of of I shouldn't say torture because it really was fun, but I would say like the hour leading up to it, I I was like, somebody's gonna have to cart me to the ER after this. Yeah, yeah, super, super nervous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Totally understand that. So you know, today we're gonna actually talk about hormones related to diet, exercise weight loss, all that kind of stuff. This is actually posted by a friend of mine, uh, Janelle Strasberg over at Crushed Ice Convo Podcast. Um, So she's really uh, asked me the question, hey, you know, TJ and Kelly, can you guys cover this in, you know, your podcast? And uh, disclaimer, we're not experts. We're kind of just pulling stuff from the internet, personal experiences, stuff like that. Um, But we're going to kind of talk about that. Um, So kind of leave us off, you know, I know Kelly... Um, I am at a huge advantage over you in regards to this. You are. Guys suck when it comes to this stuff. I mean, you guys, I mean, you guys really have it easy. You're lucky. And you know, your hormones, and I, and I shouldn't say that, you know, I mean, I don't want people to get mad at me and saying that, oh, you know, like guys aren't, you know, guys, your hormones are important too, but women definitely have it a little bit more difficult. And this is the part where, you know, I joke with my clients and I joke with people that my husband, he can, he can cut out, he can cut cream out of his coffee or he can decide that he's maybe like not going to have his one can of Coke a day and he'll instantly drop like 15 pounds. I have to cut out all dairy all sugar, all carbs, all alcohol, pretty much everything that I love in life, and I might lose a couple of pounds. And that's really the difference between, you know, and that's all hormones, and that's that's the difference between men and women. And I think we're going to get into talking about, you know, the, uh, the effects of these different hormones on men and women. Right, and I am going to stick away from the female <laughs> hormones. <laughs> Because I know those. none of them. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about, there's, what did you say, about six main ones we're going to cover here. Um, you know, yeah, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol. Um, what was the other one? Start with L. Leptin and ghrelin. Um, okay. Those are the hunger hormones. Um, thyroid. I think, yep, thyroid, thyroid is a big, big one. one. Thyroid's a big and one. And insulin, obviously, because that's, that's going to be dealing with your blood sugar. So um, let's start off. At the top, we're going to let ladies go first, so we're going to talk about estrogen. So I will define what it is, but I will not talk about it. (laughs) Well, first off, I do want to just like say in general that 
when we talk about hormones, most people think of the sex hormones. So that would be estrogen and testosterone. But in reality, there are 50 different hormones that are secreted by glands and tissues in our body. And they control almost every aspect of our bodies including our appetite and our weight. So a lot of people who think that, you know, it's just a a matter of, you know, willpower in controlling your weight, it's really not. If your hormones are off kilter, you're pretty much, you know, you're going to, you're going to struggle with health issues and your weight. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, everything in balance and hormones is a vital part of that because I mean, um, you know, diet and stuff we'll talk about later does play into those factors. It's absolutely key. So estrogen and progesterone, um, these are hormones that are typically associated with, with females. Men do have um, lower levels of estrogen. Now, it's interesting to note that as men gain weight, like if they gain fat, especially around their bellies, um, their estrogen levels will rise. Um, and that's, you know talk a little bit about stuff like man boobs. That's, that's how man boobs form. It's, it's more of an estrogen thing as you gain weight. (laughs) Get rid of those right now. But estrogens are hormones that are, are mostly important for sexual and reproductive development in, in women. Um, and, um, I group estrogen and progesterone together because they're kind of like yin and yang hormones. If one is out of balance, typically both are. Um, estrogen is the reason that women can't lose weight the, the way that men do. Um, estrogen's role in a woman's body is to keep us a little bit plump and happy and to pop out an egg every month so that we can have babies. Estrogen wants you to get pregnant every month. But in modern society and in our modern environment, a lot of women are what's considered estrogen dominant or and or they have uh, progesterone levels that are too low. So it gets out of balance. So common symptoms of, of a dysfunctional estrogen or progesterone balance would be weight gain or inability to lose weight, heavier painful periods, osteoporosis, digestive issues, acne, or you know the, the, the thing I love to term bacne when you get the acne on your back as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> um, breast tenderness, bloating, low sex drive, fatigue, mood swings, sleep disturbances, cravings, particularly cravings for carbs and sugar. Okay. I do have a question because since you are a mom, right? doesn't this... After you have a baby, doesn't that always screw everything up? Um, as far as like your levels are a little out of whack for maybe a couple months after the fact. Yeah, yeah, I would say that definitely. Um, you know, your your hormones, the estrogen, and progesterone hormones, the balance can be shifted. And I don't even necessarily want to say that that it would be an abnormal thing. Sure. But generally, for up to a year afterwards. Um, your, your hormones can be a little bit off kilter. Um, you can have uh, mood swings, um, depression. Some women have the, um, you know, the post baby blues Mm -hmm. and they need to seek counseling for that type of thing. So yes, absolutely. That, that can be, but again, that's, I think that's a normal part of being a woman. Whereas some of the things that we're experiencing in the modern world are not really that throw our, that throw these hormones off balance are not normal. Okay, so how how are we gonna fix this? So we got all this imbalances, you know, it's affecting you know weight and all this stuff. You, you know, I'm not gonna say the period word, so <laughs> but you just did. I just did whatever. <laughs> Sex drive, back knee. How do we fix it? You know, if you're a woman and you're coming to this the first time, 
How do you fix it? Well, the first thing you need that you really should do is you should find a doctor or a naturopath who can test your sex hormones. And the reason that this is important is because if you have a serious imbalance, um, you might, you're probably going to use some type of, um, hormone therapy, whether that be a synthetic or a natural hormone therapy, either, or it's not something you can do yourself. You don't, it's not, hormones are not something to mess around with. Um, in my experience, this is done via a blood test or sometimes a saliva test. Um, and again, it's really important that, um, that you, that this is overseen by a qualified professional beyond that. Um, estrogen dominance being the most common imbalance, natural ways to bring your hormones back into balance would be eating a lot of fiber rich vegetables. Um, the hormone expert, Sarah Gottfried, she recommends a pound of fibrous vegetables every day, particularly cruciferous vegetables, because they tend to, um, they, they help the fiber and cruciferous veggies they bind to excess hormones in the digestive tract and can help to remove excess um, uh, estrogen from the body. Okay, I have a question for you. How okay. much is a pound? Because <laughs> I cannot imagine eating my a pound of lettuce or a pound of broccoli. Okay, yeah. So like a pound of lettuce is or a pound of spinach is is a lot of spinach. Right. Um, so let's just say everybody, a lot of people eat salads, but no one's going to eat salads six times a day so if we're looking at a vegetable commonplace broccoli is pretty common so if we were to put it on dinner plate how much of that dinner plate is going to be about a pound well i mean if you're going to eat it in one sitting you know it's going to be way you're not going to eat anything else i can guarantee you that right and you know yeah you're you're probably going to lose some weight if you do that but you'll also be miserable right um so really the i i buy my vegetables in um the pre-cut, you know, pre-washed bags. And I want to say that those bags are about 10 ounces. So if 16 ounces makes a pound, you're probably going to eat maybe, it's really not that much when you think about it. Um, You're probably going to eat somewhere one and a half to two bags. And that's going to be your pound of vegetables. Now, Okay, so a common bag would be about the size of like one of those romaine chopped up lettuce things at the supermarket, about that size. Sort of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, and there's lots of different ways that you can do this. So if you have a smoothie in the morning, you, uh, and you add in greens to the smoothie and then you have, um, a nice size portion or a nice size serving of like steamed vegetables or a salad with your lunch, not, not in place of, but with your lunch. And then at dinner, you have a few more vegetables I mean, you're getting pretty close to your pound, but when you think about it, how many people are really eating even a single serving of vegetables a day? Um, a lot of people aren't. I don't. I may. I mean, are you serious? I ate one. Oh. I ate one today. I had kale. <laughs> I had well, kale it's a good today. thing you're not a woman because yeah. you would definitely be estrogen dominant. Yeah, that's good to know. So, um, so beyond that. There's a couple of other things. Eating less factory farmed meat is another big one just because those tend to have um, more um, hormones within the meat because they're, they're trying to make the animals grow. Um, and also, the, you know, there's antibiotics that they feed those animals that, um, that are shown to disrupt hormones right. in our bodies. So, would you say that would be um, like grass-fed? Would that be? Yes. Okay. Yes. Some people like, again, Sarah, I I quote Sarah Gottfried a lot because, um, she's an author that I've read a lot. She's a hormone expert. Um, she's a doctor. 
Um, she says that for women, reducing meat consumption overall is probably really important. But if you're going to eat meat, going for grass fed or pasture raised is going to be your best bet to sort of avoid some of those, you know, the stuff that we're getting from meats. Um, and then reducing your exposure to chemicals that are known hormone disruptors. So like Teflon coated pans, perfumes and dyes whenever possible, harsh cleaning agents, fluoride and chlorine, that type of thing. So you can just get away with not cleaning the house. Right. See, there's an excuse is, for your ladies. Excuse. Make the men do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have to clean. It affects my hormones. That's why I'm so... So I'm not going to touch the testosterone discussion because I mean, you know, I know testosterone can become a problem in women. Yeah. So this, it's interesting when men gain weight, they experience increased testosterone. When women gain too much weight, or I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? Men who gain weight, they experience, um, uh, rising levels of estrogen. Yes. When women gain a lot of weight, Obese women tend to have too much testosterone. So really interesting there. Okay. But anyway, okay. tell me about testosterone. So testosterone. Okay. We all know it makes our muscles big, right? That's a good thing. I like big muscles. <laughs> it helps with fat distribution, red blood cells production, all that stuff, sex hormone, yada, yada, yada. Um, basically, if your levels fall... You're going to have a limited energy, the abil- inability to build muscle mass, which is obviously if you're trying to lose weight, that's one thing you don't want to do. And especially, um, we'll talk about stuff you can use for that, but um, it also decreases your libido. If you don't know what libido is, it's your sex drive. You know how you have all those commercials? Take this pill and you have great libido. <laughs> well, guess what? Don't have low testosterone, or work out, like we're going to talk about a little bit, and your testosterone levels might not be as low, okay? So wait, what do you do it to increase testosterone? So best ways to decrease testosterone, so I always, some guys will always come up to me, TJ, how do I get big? Okay, well, we got to increase your testosterone, that's always going to help, okay? Um, and besides taking the illegal form of testosterone, which is steroids, <laughs> which I do not recommend anyone take, the best way to increase that is going to be heavy resistance training. Um, and we kind of spelled that out in a few podcasts ago, but we'll spell it out again. It's basically training so heavy, about 85% or higher of your 1RM, which is your one rep max, which is if you can only put on say a squat 300 pounds and do it down and up one time without doing it again that would consider your one rep max so if you're doing 85 percent, you want to be do about two um one well let's say yeah two reps or more if you can usually you won't be able to do more than two to three reps okay you want to do that about two to three times a week and that's going to help now i'm not saying that's the be all end all for raising your testosterone it's going to help a little bit um, obviously we talked about hormone replacement and that is huge. Now I would think more than ever. Would you say so? I, I would say so, but I think sometimes people are too quick to do that. Um, and they're not like maybe looking into the other avenues. Like for example, like what you just said, lifting weights is something that can help you if you're a guy increase your testosterone. And so, I mean, I don't know. Are there dietary 
modifications that you can possibly make? Does does eating a healthier diet help with testosterone? Well, I think eating healthy diet, because you already said, if you increase your estrogen levels when you're when you gain weight, right. that's going to affect your testosterone levels anyways. Right. Um, so obviously. It, decreasing, you know, body fat around your midsection or wherever you hold it is obviously going to lower one and raise the other. So just watching your diet, watching what you're eating. Um, now I'm not sure on foods. Do you know anything about foods of what they might increase testosterone? I would think probably, probably red meat would, I mean, Every guy wants to eat meat and potatoes. I mean, that's not going to be the greatest thing. But I think red meat definitely helps. I think probably just getting enough protein in general for right. a guy. And again, that's going to help you maintain that muscle mass. I think that's probably pretty critical. Um, you know, and, and just like with estrogen, I think anytime that you have... Um, Anytime that you would have nutrient deficiencies, whether you're not getting enough protein or not getting enough vitamin D, not getting enough magnesium, um, all the and these and these are things that that in our Western diet tend to be lacking. Um, I think you can have problems with testosterone or estrogen or any of these hormones we're going to talk about today. I do want to make an important point here, though, about the weight training because. A lot of women, I still hear women say things like, well, I can't, I'm not going to lift heavy weights because I'm going to get big. So <laughs> despite the, yeah. despite the fact that, um, you know, strength training increases testosterone in men, which is, it's great for men and it helps them grow their muscles. This, it doesn't happen the same way in women. So, um, Weight training is actually the only activity that creates hormonal changes that help both men and women burn fat while maintaining or gaining lean muscle. So in both sexes, strength training stimulates the release of human growth hormone, which aids in building muscle and burning fat. It also increases insulin sensitivity, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, which which helps control blood sugar and reduces the risk of type 2 diabetes. And it can also help you not gain fat from uh, from the food that you eat. Strengthening uh, Strength training is also shown to help regulate sex hormones, both testosterone and estrogen. And this is especially for true, true for women as we get older. Um, because women commonly produce less estrogen as they get older, which can increase the risk of osteoporosis, heart disease, fat gain, and other hormone dysregulation. Um, and strength training in women has been shown to stimulate the production of the right hormones, so that would be estrogen, and help rebalance them for us. So ladies, please have no fear that you're going to turn into like a huge beast by lifting heavy weight, weights. You won't. And if you want to burn body fat, weight training is hands down one of the best ways to improve your hormone balance to lose fat. And I do want to mention one thing. I just read an article. They said that women usually respond better to weight training than men do. Really? As far as muscle growth. Just because, you know, men have a lot of muscle mass just to begin with. Right. If they lift weights, you know, they might, you know, have some um, differences, but women, if they just, you know, lift a little bit, they're going to see the results a little bit better. And especially obviously if you want to lose burn muscle or yeah, yeah. Burn, burn fat. Muscle. Don't burn muscle. Yeah. Burn fat <laughs> and obviously increase your muscle mass. That's right. definitely going to help. Right. 
All right, so we're going to talk about thyroid. I know nothing about thyroid <laughs> at all. So, I mean, I know I know kind of what it does. I mean, it produces hormones that control the speed of your metabolism. It's a huge it's a big thing cuz everybody has thyroid issues. Yes. Um I'm I have never been tested. I don't have you been tested at all for that? I have. Yes. Okay. I have been tested uh, for thyroid and and I'm going to talk about that a little bit because I initially, when I started having problems a few years ago, and again, I always go back to my triathlon training because the overtraining actually threw my hormones out of balance. Um, but when I first started experiencing symptoms, I went to a doctor and, um, they only drew TSH. And back then I didn't really know very much about thyroid. And so I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't know to ask for a full a full thyroid panel. And so my TSH was, quote unquote, within the normal range. Now, uh, uh, maybe... What does TSH stand for? That would be thyroid stimulating hormone. Okay. So that is the, uh, the, the hormone that's circulating in your blood. But there are several other thyroid markers that are really important um, in trying to figure out whether your hormone, whether your thyroid is skewed to one direction or the other. So when a few months later, when I'm still having issues and health problems and I can't sleep and I've got crazy cravings and I'm holding weight around my midsection, um, I decided to go to, um, a, a more naturopathic doctor and they not only did TSH, but they pulled a whole bunch of other numbers. And let me see here. I might as well just go right into these. Um, they pulled TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies. Um, and what they found was that I was borderline hypothyroid. So that's low thyroid. Okay. So, so what does, um, do you know what the free T3s, T4s, what is the, um, what do they look for exactly? Offhand, I don't know the numbers, but okay. if you do a Google search, you can, and, and I actually, I recommend to my clients that when your doctor pulls, whether it's TSH, whether it's only TSH or whether it's all of these uh, different markers for thyroid, make sure you get the paperwork and that you can have it in hand because you can do a Google, Google search and you can find out whether your numbers fall close to the end markers of a range or whether they're more in the middle of the normal and range. And our most uh, practicing doctor doctors just focus on the TSH levels? They do. Okay. Most doctors will only pull TSH. Um, and again, they may say that you fall within the normal range, but you might be at the extreme end of normal. And that means you're going to experience, and this is what I was. I was at the extreme, one extreme end of the normal range. And I, but I was experiencing symptoms that affected the quality of my life. But my doctor was telling me that I was normal. Sure. I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Because I know I, I do a lot of re reading, mostly mostly listening, because I don't like reading that much. Uh, but uh, it talks about, um, you know, testosterone levels. You know, a guy can go to a doctor, get his testosterone tested, and be like, oh, yeah, you're nor they're low. Here's supplements. Do they do they really even know what low is, or are they just kind of guessing as to what the the norm would be? So there there is some debate as to whether the ranges that they have for for healthy are 
really all that good. And, and part of the reasoning here in the thinking is that most people don't go to the doctor when they're healthy and get these tests done. That's true. They go to the doctor when they're feeling off or something's not right. And so a lot of the data that doctors use for the ranges are, might be coming from people who were already kind of off to begin with. Sure. So they could be low. Right. Than what they think. Right. And again, to me, it really matters more. If you're experiencing symptoms, then, you know, I believe in being your own advocate and, and digging a little bit further. So I will say, you know, I wanted to go into a little bit more about the thyroid because this gland is is so incredibly important or this hormone is so uh, incredibly important for um, weight maintenance and just in, in general how you feel. Right. So the thyroid gland for both men and women is often called the master metabolism regulator. Um, it controls hormones that affect a number of your body's critical functions, including your heart rate, your breathing, cholesterol levels, body temperature, and weight. Um, one of the most common symptoms of low thyroid, which low thyroid is a lot more prevalent than having too much thyroid hormone, um, would be weight gain or inability to lose weight. Um, Either way, when a man or a woman's thyroid goes off kilter, the result can be pretty devastating with for energy levels, for your weight. Um, symptoms can include hair loss, weight gain, again, fatigue, always feeling cold, dry skin, digestive issues, depression, low energy, and muscular weakness. Um, and so again, you need to you need to go to your doctor, but you need to ask for those those the right tests and you need to get the numbers and make sure that you're not necessarily, you know, if your doctor says you're normal, you may be sure. But if you're experiencing symptoms or you feel like something is off, make sure that you see those numbers and make sure that you're checking into it a little bit yourself so that you do some of your own digging. Okay. So I know thyroid's a huge issue. Is there any way that, you know, besides going to the doctors, you can start doing stuff to fix it on your own a little bit. There is. I mean, if you have a if you have a a thyroid issue, um, it's been going on for a long time, or if it's a severe thyroid issue, you're probably going to need some sort of medical intervention. But if your symptoms are fairly mild, or you're at you know just one end of the normal range, um, there are things that you can do to help. Um, fix, you know, I use that word loosely, but fix your thyroid and really similar to fixing all of the other hormones. It has to do with, with diet and decreasing your exposure to environmental toxins. So again, for, you know, for, for thyroid, environmental toxins is actually a big one. Most women are, most, most people in general are coming into contact with over 700 chemicals in our environment every day. And most women, I believe I saw a figure, um, are slathering on no less than 200 chemicals in their skincare (laughs) products every day. So as much as possible, buying organic produce when you can, getting rid of your nonstick cookware again, um, getting a reverse osmosis filter for your drinking water. That's a big one. And it's, yes, it's an investment, but chlorine and fluoride are both known to interfere with thyroid. Hmm. And we even have that in our water. 
the, the, well, that's why I'm saying yeah, that's, that's why it's so, it's so important to, to really, that's one of the big things you can do to, uh, to prevent those environmental toxins from getting into your body and affecting your thyroid is filtering your water, but it can't just be any. Yeah. So basically the government want us to have really nice teeth to eat and get fat. <laughs> that is what we need to take away. <laughs> Unfortunately, unintended consequences of, of, <laughs> of you know, not having to, cavities, right, right? Not having cavities, unintended consequences. I still blame them. <laughs> um, never drinking and cooking from plastic. Um, and again, avoiding factory farmed meat, dairy, and eggs. Managing stress levels is also huge. Um, if you are stressed to the max and you're never taking any time for yourself, and this isn't just about meditation, but if you feel like you can't sit down for 10 minutes and read a book, or if you can't, you know, take five minutes and go to the bathroom, then, you know, your stress levels are probably out of whack, which is going to affect your thyroid. And then improving your overall nutrition, exercising, plugging the holes in your nutrition. So, um, I'm going to go back to, again, the uh, nutrient deficiencies that can cause hormone imbalance, which unfortunately, these things are often lacking in the Western diet would be B12, iodine, vitamin D, omega-3, selenium, zinc, and vitamins A and B. All of those things are critical for thyroid hormone production. And we can get those pretty easily. Vitamin D, I know, is from the sun. Um, and then the other ones we can get probably in a multivitamin or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and a lot of these, you can also like B12 and vitamin D, you can get tested, um, to see if your levels are, are low. So if um, we, if you live in Ohio, more than likely your levels are, yes. D are low just because yes. this, the sun is out today, but you know, tomorrow it's going to be snowing and 40 or not right. 40 degrees, like probably 40 And here's below. a little, here's a little fun fact about, about vitamin D. Unless you go outside completely naked for like 15 minutes every day <laughs> and you don't take a shower afterwards because the vitamin, you actually wash it off of your skin. Oh, it, really? It, yeah. It needs time to absorb into mm -hmm. the skin. And I believe it, it's like an, I don't know if it does it while you're sleeping or it's an overnight thing, but yeah, if you, if you're out in the sun and then you take a shower, you pretty much don't get the vitamin D. So I should just bathe, sunbathe naked then. Yes. At least 15 minutes. Yes. At least 15 <laughs> My minutes. My neighbors will love me. <laughs> All right. All right. So we're going to talk about insulin. Uh, we're not going to go into diabetes at all. Maybe a little bit, but probably not. Um, and we know what insulin does. If you don't, we're going to inform you. All right. It's made <laughs> by the pancreas. It's about blood sugar. You know, if it's too, if it's too low, your blood sugar is too low, you got too much insulin. If it's too high, you don't have enough. It's kind of that balancing act, uh, just to make sure you're even keel most of the days. And if you have too much sugar in your blood, it's going to pump those numbers up. It's going to use it for, if you're exercising, it's going to use for that. Cause, um, you know, people drink Gatorade and all that kind of stuff. That's, you know. Their insulin's gonna spike it, but if you're playing a professional sport, you more likely need that anyways. But if you're just sitting around on the couch, you know, watching TV, you don't necessarily need a Mountain Dew because you're not gonna be using the energy that you're getting, so you're gonna be storing it as fat. Correct? Yes. Okay, I'm right. That's good. I know what I'm talking about sometimes. Insulin is basically the the chemical messenger that tells your that, that tells your cells to open up for either 
energy, like it's using the sugar or it's for energy it. or it's storing it. Right. right. So obviously with insulin, it's going um, maintaining uh, weight, especially when if it's too high or it's too low, it's going to affect it one way or the other. But we're really talking about getting it tested. If you are diabetic, one or two, we're not going to really tell you about because you already know what's going on. I would say, right? Because if I need which one, which one do you know which one is type one and type two? I know one is dependent and the other one's not. So um, type 1 is insulin dependent, um, and that's typically the one that shows up in childhood. Okay. Um, and then type 2 is usually the one that comes with age and poor dietary and lifestyle choices. Okay. So obviously those are both bad. And I know that you can get diabetes later on, especially if you gain a lot of weight. I know my grandmother got it later in life. I think she was in her 60s when she got it but right. it was weird um but usually it's gonna it's gonna be onset of just bad diet that's where you're gonna get the diabetes and that's it's why because your insulin's all jacked up okay um so really going back to this insulin's a vital hormones produced by your pancreas it helps process glucose or sugar all right from your carbohydrates turning into energy and then storing it for future use or using it right at that instant, okay? Now, there's a huge thing called insulin resistance. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's basically uh, if you're eating a bunch of junk all the time, you, your body's pouring all this insulin into your body, you're going to be resistant to that insulin just because it's, it's normal, it's commonplace. It's not supposed to be pouring into your bloodstream all hours of the day. So, right. What, what, what I think happens with like insulin resistance and which insulin resistance is the precursor to type two diabetes, um, is, you know, when you're constantly eating junk food and your blood sugar rises in response, especially if you're eating like these super, what they call high glycemic carbs. Right. So that would be thing like chips and crackers and cookies and mostly processed. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. Mostly processed stuff. Um, is going to cause a very quick rise in blood sugar. And then the hormone insulin is what lowers that blood sugar in your blood by driving um, the sugar into your cells. The problem is, like you said, if you're, if you're an athlete, that's a good thing because it gives you a bunch of energy and, you know, it's going to drive it into the cells and give you energy. But if you are sitting on the couch all the time and you're not very active and you're constantly eating all of these junk foods, that means you have chronically elevated blood sugar and then you're going to have chronically elevated insulin and then your body. So the receptors in your body are going to become resistant to these things. And again, as this whole process is unfolding, this can take years. So my father is a type two diabetic. It took years of him eating poorly to become a type two diabetic. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I know one is used sometimes genetic. Yeah. Type, well, both can be both have genetic um, uh, components, but type one is definitely more. Um, like I said, it's it's more of a genetic thing. Um, and and I don't know if I'm going to butcher this or not, but I believe type one is when um, they either they don't have the receptor. Or they don't produce the insulin 
at all. And it might be that they don't produce any insulin because they usually have to inject it. inject insulin. Right. Now, a type 2 diabetic can actually get to the point where they have to inject insulin. Oh, okay. So, so is he still type 2? Yes, now. yes, he's still type two diabetic, um, but you know he may, he's actually in the last several years done much better. Type two diabetes can be managed through diet and exercise. Right. Okay. Um, so I mean, again, if you're sitting on the couch all the time and you're not very active and you're eating all of these processed junk foods, which unfortunately, sixty percent of the average American diet is processed food. And then we wonder why we have a weight problem. And again, through this whole lengthy process of going from having normal insulin levels to being pre-diabetic or diabetic, as insulin is driving these this sugar into your cells, for most people, if you're not active, it's driving it into your fat cells. So you're gaining weight. So no more Mountain Dew. <laughs> right. Well, good thing I don't drink that anymore. I'm not 16 anymore. So. I listen. I can. I wish I could remember who it was, but I heard um, a, a f- one of these uh, really uh, well-known fitness people. I don't think it was Jillian Michaels. It was somebody who said, "If I, if a client comes to me actually needing to gain weight, like if a guy wants to gain weight, she's like, do you know what I tell him to drink?" apple juice or grape juice because those jack your blood sugar up more than anything and what are we giving to all of our kids apple juice milk and grape juice i'll give them (laughs) yeah we do right all right so let's talk about how we can kind of fix that really she's gonna kill me on this i'm gonna say it anyways so we're gonna eat small meals throughout the day um, in place of like fewer larger meals so the reason for that, it keeps your insulin levels and your blood sugar levels consistent throughout the day. Um, we're going to consume a greater number of low glycemic carbs. Which I think we should link to so that people know what some of the lower glycemic carb options are. Because rather than having that whole idea of these are all the things I can't have, focus on the things that you can eat. Exactly. So we'll link to that. Um, It's kind of like beans, fruit, non-starchy vegetables, stuff like that. And then finally, this is where I'm going to get hurt. I'm already rolling my eyes. Go easy on your pancreas by eliminating all added sugar. So have you eliminated all added sugar? Let me check. I'm drinking, see my Gatorade right here? (laughs) Has two carbs, zero sugar. But you... Oh, even better. <laughs> well, but you did just work out, right? Yes, so, I did. Yes. So your your body is ready to soak up those sugars into your into your <laughs> muscle cells. Yeah, but so let me let me really think about added sugar from like processed sugar. I would say every day except Sunday. You eat or do not? Do not. You do not. Really? Yes. Huh. I eat ice cream every day. Well, I am not <laughs> You, Kelly. <laughs> I know. So, okay, my my counter argument always to that is, you know, we need to be realistic. Now, if you are pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, then you need to be a lot more careful. And I'd say if if you're even having the symptoms of your overweight, you should get tested anyways. Just to, yeah. so just to be safe. If, you know, in the symptoms of insulin resistance, um, again, they sort of mimic symptoms of other diseases. So it's hard to tell. You really need to get tested um, if you're unsure. But weight gain around your belly is a big one. Um, another one, I know that my father had, um, he 
I can remember him being super thirsty all the time. And yeah, it, yeah, I, for, I remember that. Yes, that is one. Very thirsty, um, urinating a lot because you're drinking a ton of water. Do you know why that is? Do you know what causes, kind um, of causes that on? Not offhand. I, I, I'm not sure. And again, I could be totally wrong on this. Do you think I'm it's because there's sugar, so much sugar in the blood? Yes. I think that, I think that it's your body's attempt to try and flush sugar out. Sure. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Um, I believe that is it. So, so there are symptoms for that, but again, a lot of people aren't going to necessarily tie those directly to insulin resistance. Yeah. Cause I know after I have a high carb day on Sundays, I'm like pounding the water because I mean, no, I'm going to try to get as much of it out as possible. Right. Here's the thing. If you are not pre-diabetic and, or if you're not a type two diabetic, if you're eating healthy, so healthy, low glycemic index foods, 80% of the time, your body is going to manage insulin pretty well, even during the 20% of the time that you indulge. And, and I've done the testing on myself. So I actually have a home, um, blood glucose kit Okay. and it's just, it's a finger prick and it tests your blood sugar. And I've, I've done fasting blood glucose and I've also tested my blood glucose after, um, a regular meal and after a heavy meal and after exercise and so even when I eat, because I eat healthy most of the time, even when I go and I eat a meal of donuts, my blood sugar still never spikes over the un- an unhealthy level. So which uh, 140 is usually like the but That's level. just because your body's, you know. Right. I'm healthy most of the time. Right. I exercise. My body can manage insulin because I'm healthy most of the time. Sure. That makes so, sense. So again, you know... When it comes down to lifestyle and being realistic, as long as you're not eating processed foods and sugar all the time, you're probably going to be okay. I also want to make the note here, and I love to tell people this, taking a walk after a meal, especially after a high carb or a heavy meal, is a great way to bring your blood sugar down quickly. Um, a, fi- uh, a, a study showed that a 15-minute walk after a large meal could reduce blood sugar by up to 40%. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. So keep that in mind. There are things you can do to manage your blood sugar. And definitely, you know, exercise will kind of frame one, doing high intensity interval training a couple times a week. Obviously, the other days you're going to do slow, steady state or boring cardio, we'll call it. Um, but just getting that in there during the week is definitely going to help with that. Do you do like the whole, have you heard of like the whole carb sink? Do you do that kind of thing? No, I don't, I don't eat carbs. I eat eat avocados. My only, (laughs) yeah, I'm boring. So the whole idea behind the carb sink though, is following along with that is that if you do like a, um, a high intensity interval training workout or a really intense weight training workout, sure. It creates a what they call a carbohydrate sink, mm-hmm. and so if you eat a high carb meal after that type of exercise, your body tends to shuttle the calories from that meal and into your muscles versus your fat cells. Right. So that's why all the bodybuilders are eating. Right. Meals after. Exactly. So that's why yes, the bodybuilders that's when they eat their carbs and their sugar or their cheat meal right yeah. after like the heaviest workout of the week. All right, so we got we got a couple more, so bear with us. We're gonna kind of blaze through these pretty quickly because um, they're rather some of them are rather short. So we got leptin, and what is that word? 
Ghrelin. Yeah, good thing I didn't say that. Ghrelin. I call Ghrelin the gremlin. That's how I remember that one. So (laughs) (laughs) these are another yin and yang hormone pair, um, and people call them the hunger hormones. Okay, well, that makes sense. So I'm assuming that when I'm hungry, that spikes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And when I'm satisfied, it goes down. Most people, um, I'm going to call out Michelle. She's going to hate me, but that's all right. She listens to the podcast. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> she told me earlier this week, she's like, oh, I got this Chipotle. And I ate and I was satisfied, but there's so much more left. So I kept eating and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> so usually when you're, you're, you're full, that's probably a good sign to stop. Or like you're satisfied, that's a good sign to stop. Um, would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. And I'm all on board. So I I run an intuitive eating course and that's really what it's all about is learning to honor those signals. You eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're comfortably full. (laughs) Yeah. And I, what's funny is I, okay, quick story. There's a guy at the gym. His name was Ken. He was in his uh, early or late thirties, early forties, shredded to the bone. I asked him, like, what, what's your diet? He's like, oh, I just eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm done. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for the help. You know, for people who have dieted for years and struggled with their bodies or their weight, you know, it, it seems so easy, but it's not always that easy in right. practice because I think we all, like, when I eat, there are certain things like Chipotle, yeah, I'm going to eat that whole bowl even if my my hunger is your my butt my belly is telling me to stop yeah i did that it's one so i did good. that one time recently I'm like i'm not doing that again right no. and i think you have so that's another one of the things i talk about and this is kind of getting off topic but is that if you can connect that feeling afterwards that you know like Regret. when you feel crappy <laughs> if you start making that connection you'll do it less okay but anyway back, back to, to the to topic leptin and right. ghrelin all right you tell me well what are we looking at here all right so Leptin being the helpful hormone that lets your body know that you're full, um, and ghrelin being the what I call the hunger gremlin. So that's what tends to spike when you um, you know when you haven't had enough to eat. There's with all of these hormones, I think what and not just the hunger hormones, but all of them. What I think people need to keep in mind is that there's a lot of things that affect the balance of these hormones, and all of them are interrelated too. So if your thyroid is off, your leptin and ghrelin levels are sure. going to be off. All of them are connected. So as far as the things that affect the balance of leptin, which is your satiety hormone, and ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, sleep loss is a big one. If you Have you ever noticed when you lose sleep, you like want to eat everything the next day? Yeah, I think Johanna's like that. Yeah. I mean, when I had, when when my daughter was young the first year and she wasn't sleeping through the night, I felt like I could just mow through mountains of food. Um, And I didn't realize at the time, but it was probably sleep loss because sleep loss suppresses leptin and increases ghrelin. Weight training suppresses ghrelin, so it suppresses your hunger. Um, I think high-intensity interval training does the same thing. And have you? Uh, I, I notice for me personally, when I do my intense weight training workouts, I'm not hungry afterwards. For no, not usually. I'll go home and I'll eat something, but that's just because I know I need to. But well, I'm not right. like hungry at all. I'm usually not either. I feel like if I'm eating right after a weight training session, I almost feel like I'm forcing myself to eat. Right. 
And um, even after I fast for uh, 24 hours and I go for a run, I still don't feel hungry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So weight training specifically, but exercise in general can suppress ghrelin. I will all say though that long distance cardio training can have the opposite effect. It can increase the hunger hormone. Sure. So I know some people tell me when they go for like an hour run, they're just starving all day long. So, you know, there's something to that too. Starvation, as in dieting, suppresses leptin and increases ghrelin. So this is one of the reasons why it is so difficult to maintain weight loss after going on a very restrictive or a low um, a low calorie diet. Sure. Because your body doesn't want you to lose weight. So again, this is a hormone thing. If you're going on a super low calorie diet and you're basically starving, your body is going to decrease leptin, which means your satiety is going to go way down and it's going to increase ghrelin, which means you're going to be hungry like all the time. And you're not going to be satisfied with normal amounts of food. That's why people gain the weight back and then some. And then stressful situations also cause a rise in ghrelin. Um, and highly processed foods also cause increased levels of ghrelin, so making you more hungry. I think we all know that stress, like when you've had a bad day at work or a tough week, mm-hmm. like, and I find this myself, if uh, last week after I was on TV, like that whole day, I just wanted to eat. I was like, <laughs> I just want to eat everything because I was so stressed about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. <laughs> or when you go to a Chinese restaurant and you can't eat enough food because it's instantly gone in your stomach. Well, and that's that highly processed, highly palatable. I mean, you know, it just doesn't shut down those hunger hormones. No, it doesn't at all. So I think to, I mean, I don't know, to fix it, to fix those is actually to me more straightforward than some of the others because you just basically never overly restrict calories, eat enough protein, get enough quality sleep, exercise, especially weight training or, um, high intensity interval training, practice stress management, eat more vegetables and fruits and less processed junk food. So, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that you can do to rebalance your hunger hormones. All right. That sounds great. I mean, a lot of this stuff come, a lot of these hormone stuff comes down to diet and exercise Yes, mainly. So, um, healthy lifestyle. Exactly. So last one we're going to kind of cover, um, I know we're, kind of dragging a little bit but uh we're talking about cortisol okay everybody knows what cortisol and if you don't know what it is i will tell you okay tj's gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you yeah cortisol is a stress hormone that is the easiest way to put it okay uh you increase your stress hormone cortisol you increase a bunch of other stuff your body fat your metabolism is going to be all jacked up your immune response is going to be messed up it just has a huge role in the body um especially i'm i'm gonna guess maybe if i'm wrong this one would almost affect all of them yes yeah because i mean stress is huge on your body just over you know homeostasis within your body right and i mean if it's all over the place when you're stressed out at work or home or whatever the case it's definitely not going to be a good thing. So when you're stressed, your cortisol comes up. Usually when people have high body fat, sometimes their, their stress level at work is going to maybe contribute to that. Um, and so a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, I would say your life. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about how to fix it, but let's talk about the problems. So 
as your cortisol level rises, your blood sugar is converted into fat for long-term storage. So, you know, if I'm stressed, I'm going to Dairy Queen, I'm eating all this junk food, it's going to just get stored because it's it's suppressing all the other stuff because that's the main the main driver is that cortisol is going to jack everything up. And that's honestly, when cortisol is elevated for a long period of time, that is what is supposed to happen because... Again, I always go back to how human evolution took place and the only long-term stress for our ancestors was famine. And so that was the only thing that produced chronically high cortisol levels. And, And again, when we came into contact with food again, that's what caused us to survive by gaining extra weight and, and overeating during those periods of time when there was food available. And so again, cortisol is supposed to have this effect. It's just that in our modern society where we are, we do have these chronically elevated levels of cortisol for reasons besides famine. I mean, obviously most of us are not experiencing a famine, but we have all these other reasons that are creating this cumulative life stress that's creating that high cortisol all the time. Sure. And, and, and that's what's causing the, the weight gain. There's a lot of it's, you know, it could be in your environment, you know, work's yeah. stressful, home stressful. Um, you don't, you look in the mirror and you don't like the way you look. All that's going to yep. attribute to that. Um, and, you know, definitely uh, with, you know, if you're trying to lose weight or anything like that and you know you're stressed, you know, reducing your stress level is going to reduce this and then everything else is going to start to come in alignment. So um, let's talk about how you fix it. So I actually have a personal story. I'm going to um, talk to, about Tammy, one of my clients. So she was stressed with a bunch of things in her personal life. And I'm like, have you ever just like, do you have time to just take to yourself? She's like, no, I don't have time for that. I got to take care of the dog and I got to take care of my husband and I got to take care of the kids and all that stuff. I'm like, why? What time do you get up in the morning? Oh, 6.30, 7. I'm like, okay, I get before 30. Let's try to get up like a half hour to an hour earlier. Okay. She's like, all right, it's going to suck because I don't want to get up earlier than I'm already doing, but let's try it. So I spoke with her, I would say four days or so, four or five days or so after. And she came in totally different demeanor. I'm like, what, what, did you get up early? I'm like, yeah got up early i got some exercise in you know i took care did the dog and the dog looks at me and she's like what are you doing up you know and she got some time just for herself and knowing that she got just the exercise part of it out of the way in the beginning of the day and setting that 30 minutes or whatever it was she felt way better to handle a lot of the stuff later in the day which i think was pretty cool absolutely this, I tell, you know, I tell my clients to do stuff like that all the time, you know, find that thing that, you know, some people call them guilty pleasures, but you know, don't feel guilty about it. Go to the coffee shop a couple times a week. If in sit there and read a magazine, right. you know, do something that's just for you. And for some people that's going to be exercise. And for some people it's going to be just sitting down to read a book, but or doing nothing, right. Or doing nothing <laughs> like lay on your floor and stare at the ceiling. Right. And I know, um, well, I think I was asking you about stress management a while ago about meditation and you send me a bunch of links. Yeah. I yeah. tried that. It works really well because you felt you felt like you're melting into your bed or your yes. thing. It's so weird. It is really weird. Um, I did it for a while. I did it at work. I'm like, hey, I'm taking my 15-minute break. And I just sit there 
in my chair with my eyes closed and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm meditating. <laughs> Leave me alone. Right. Don't bother me you with You need this. to put a sign around your neck that says, don't talk to me right now. Right. And that's just one of my stress levels are pretty high. Um, but I know that definitely helped. Yeah, absolutely. And there's tons of free meditations that you, guided meditations. I find guided meditation, if you're going to try the whole meditation thing, works better for me because I have a very busy mind and having somebody talk me through the meditation helps me a lot. Um, but I have found that when I use guided meditations consistently, um, I, I just handle stress better. I don't fly off the handle. I don't get angry at my husband or my daughter because sure. they were they're the ones who usually take the brunt if I'm, you know. Yeah, usually family members. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So let's um kind of talk about uh, what else you got. I don't even know. I'm reading these notes and I can't read for some reason today. <laughs> so we're we're talking about reducing our stress. Is there anything you want to cover before we kind of go into that? I don't think so. Just maybe like, you know, the, the signs and symptoms of elevated cortisol really, again, mimic a lot of the signs and symptoms from the other cor- the, the other uh, hormones that can be dysregulated. But again, you got to remember all of these hormones are so connected that if one, it's like dominoes. Right. If one falls over, the rest probably fall over. So weight gain, especially around the midsection, acne, thinning skin, muscle weakness, mood swings, blood sugar dysregulation, which we just talked about, cravings and excessive hunger, fatigue, and insomnia are all signs and symptoms of ele- of chronically elevated cortisol or cortisol dysregulation. All right. So let's talk about fixing it. We are kind of talking about meditation, um, spending quality time alone. You know, that could be 30 minutes in the morning, reading a book, going to a Starbucks magazine. Getting enough sleep is going to help. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're already going to be stressed. Absolutely. I know my wife doesn't get enough sleep, and I think she's stressed. Nobody's happy. No one's happy, no. <laughs> um, uh, and this, this is going to be kind of taboo for some people. Lay off the morning coffee. Oh, that's uh, so... It causes your cortisol tough. levels to skyrocket, which I don't know... I mean, I, it, that might be a double-edged sword because it could, but it couldn't. Maybe if your stress management's so good now, because I drink coffee, I drink caffeine all day long, and I'm, right. I feel fine. And again, that might come down to how you metabolize coffee too. Oh yeah, I'm I'm guilty. Coffee has definitely a, a deleterious effect on me, and and I actually did experience cortisol dysregulation um, by drinking coffee. No, not just by drinking coffee. Again, okay. again, this is like the triathlon thing. Sure. Which, if anybody's listening to this and all of these podcasts, what they're going to take away from me is don't, don't do, do triathlons. Yeah. Um, but I was basically overtraining, and you know, I would get up very early and do an intense workout. And do so, co- and probably had coffee too. And had coffee. So yeah, it probably just didn't help. So my morning cortisol levels were off the charts high. No. And it's supposed to be elevated in the morning because cortisol helps you wake up. Sure, but it wasn't supposed to be that high. Right. And so- okay, so if you if you if you don't if you don't like coffee, I, some people do, um, and you want to try something else, you can try tea. Tea is going to be the same effect because you know it's green tea; it's got that stuff in it already. Um, but that's kind of just a thing. If you want to try it, great. If you want to stick to coffee, that's fine. I'm not whatever here's what i so here's what i do because 
I've tried to switch over to tea and I'm sorry. It's just not, it's, I can't do it. It's not the same. Yeah. It's now it's agreed. And so I allow myself to have one or two cups of the caffeinated and then I switch because I could literally drink coffee all day long because I just like it. I do switch to decaf after the first couple of cups. Okay. Yeah. And I so that saying. has helped me along with the other things that I had to change, like not exercising as much as I was. Sure. Um, and eating more because I wasn't eating enough for all the exercise I was doing. Um, but changing those things and lessening the amount of caffeine I was drinking in the morning and, and I'm able to manage it now. And so now I don't have like that super high AM cortisol. Okay. And also we, we need to know that even if you exercise, it's going to increase your cortisol levels. So if you're going from a couch potato to looking at Dwayne, the rock Johnson's workouts and wanting to do that, Probably not a good idea. Let's start slow, get you on the path of down, you know, with some exercise. That way your body can manage those cortisol levels. Um, right. Because, I mean, like I we had mentioned before, I went from zero to 100 and I got burned out really quick. So we obviously don't want you to do that, um, especially in the beginning if you just start off. So kind of wrapping things up. We went a little long. But that's okay. So we're this is important stuff, though, yeah. because so many people want to lose weight, and they think that it's all just one thing. It's you know, it's just about diet, and it's just about exercise, and and really, there are so many variables involved, and the hormones are huge. If you have dysregulated hormones, I don't care how perfect your diet or your exercise routine is, you know, you're you're not going to be able to lose weight. Right. So. First thing I would say, if if you're going to do any of these things, let's get tested for the ones that we can't test for. Right. Um, you know, the thyroid, the insulin, um, and I think the testosterone is probably one you need to get tested for as well. Estrogen and progesterone Estrogen. too. Yep. Yeah, the sex hormones, all of those can be tested. Right. Let's get all those tested first. Um, and then some ways to combat these things. We're going to increase your exercise, decrease if you're overtraining, because right. we don't want to do that. We don't right. want to be burnout like Kelly was running 70,000 miles. <laughs> right. Don't do that. We want to eat enough, especially if you're under eating, um, find ways to manage stress by making time for your self care. So whatever that looks like, five, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours, doesn't matter. Getting enough sleep is another big one. Exactly. And that's for all of these hormones. I mean, you, you know, we're talking about like a whole lifestyle thing. Um, you know, so it's not just diet and exercise. It's it, like you said, it's the stress management, it's sleep, it's reducing your toxin load, right? all of those things. And there's little things that you can do within all of those categories so that you're not like, it's not like you have to, it's not all or nothing. You know, if you, you know, you're always going to, for example, with toxins, you're always going to be exposed to some level of toxins, but anything you can do to reduce exposure so, yeah. all right. So let's take us out, Kelly. What, what should we do? So if we are, what's three bullet points that we should do as we try to manage these things? I would say the first thing that you should probably do is, um, work on in it. This is an easy one in my mind because it doesn't involve like the diet and the exercise, but reducing your toxin load. Um, and so that would be things like, you know, not cooking in Teflon coated pans, not cooking your food in plastic, not storing your food in plastic, um, getting reverse osmosis water filtration system. There's tons of stuff you can do, maybe using less of like fragranced stuff in your house. Um, 
after that, I would say that, you know, diet and exercise are probably going to be two really important things. Perfect. And, and number three? Number three. I've got to think here. Number three. You want to throw one in there, TJ? Number three. Okay. We're going to, I would say stress management is going to be number three. Yes. That's going to be really important to maintain. All right, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is TJ and Kelly with the Initiative Project Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like us to cover, please email us at initiativepodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.